Good morning, Highland. It's good to have you here with us today. Um, we're in this series about parables, and one of the things we talked about last week is that parables have this surprise. Well, I have a surprise for you today. I am pleased to be joined on the platform with the Powells and the Binkley kids, and they're going to share with us a concretization about today's story. Please take it away. Okay. So today we're going to do a chemistry demonstration as an introduction to um, a sermon on the parables. And Shane, this is the first time we have ever been asked to do a chemistry demonstration on a Sunday morning service. But when we do demonstrations in class, um, the purpose is to help students understand difficult ideas. And um, that usually means uh, setting up a situation um, that we might call a discrepant event. A situation where what you see happen and what you think should have happened don't match. And it's a surprise. So when you see a mismatch, you're led to question your assumptions. Um, rethink what you've always assumed, and it changes your beliefs, and it leads to deeper understanding. And I think Jesus often used parables in much the same way, to push us to question our assumptions and our understanding of who God is and how his kingdom really works. So today we will be combining solutions. If we add 50 mils to 50 mils and they're all colorless, we should get 100 mils. That makes sense to today. Today, each of our demonstrators will be pouring 50 mils of a solution into a graduated cylinder that already contains the second solution. Let's see what happens. If you are able, please stand for the reading of the word. This morning, I'll be reading from Matthew 13. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. He put before them a parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Let's thank the Powells and the Blink Binkley kids for helping us again. That may be the most Stormant, Jonathan Stormant moment we've had in like the last five years. Um, we're in this series on parables, and I want to I connect three ideas together. I want to connect how one doctor's 
uh, infatuation with his scrub nurse changed medicine forever. I want to talk about why jokes aren't funny after you explain them and why Abilene City Planners' decisions not to make sewers is the perfect example of how churches upend empires. Uh, This is going to be a fun day today. If you would, please pray with me. Father God, uh, I am grateful for your world. I am grateful for nature that surprises us and confounds us. I'm grateful for laughter that shapes us. Father, now as we turn our hearts and our minds to your word, I pray that you pour through me the gift of preaching, that I might speak your truth and love to these, your people. It's together that the church says, amen. I think this parable, the story, the parable of the mustard seed, it's a joke, I think. It's a joke. And, and, And parables function like jokes. They're so similar to jokes that, that, that they, they, they run in the same line. The problem is, is that parables aren't always funny. In fact, that's the problem with jokes. If you don't know key details beforehand, they aren't funny. And even if you explain key details later, they still aren't funny. Case in point. Two physicists get pulled over. Heisenberg and Schrodinger have been driving way too fast. And the officer says, do you know how fast you were going? No, Heisenberg replies, but I don't know exactly where I am. And the officer responds, you were doing 55 in a 35 mile an hour speed zone. Heisenberg throws up his hands and shouts, great, now I'm lost. You guys are more nerdy than I thought you were. The cop thinks this is rather suspicious, and he orders him to pop the trunk. He checks it out, and he says, did you guys know you have a dead cat back here? Schrodinger replies, we do now, fella. All right, so if that joke wasn't, I thought that joke would bomb. Uh, I thought that would be like a a Jeff Nelson special, but... um, Back at Holy Week... Uh, it's a, we do this like tradition of we mock each other, the uh, downtown area uh, preachers. We just tease each other. And, and I, it was easy for me because I was doing like the reformed guys, the Calvinists. I got a ton of material against Calvinists. And so I was just making jokes left and right. And uh, Jeffrey tells one of the new preachers in the area, you know, I was surprised. You, Shane's really not usually that funny. Uh, and I didn't know how to take that. And what Jeff meant was he does better at mocking someone than telling good jokes. I now realize the reason why Jeff doesn't think I'm funny. Because he doesn't get the jokes. But if I explained to you that Schrodinger had this theory about the positions of, of particles, and they're positive or negative, and you can't tell if they're positive or negative until you measure them, but the act of measuring them changes the way that the particle exists, and so you can't know. And so he made this metaphor about a cat in a box with a, anyway, it doesn't matter. Heisenberg had the uncertainty principle that says you can either tell where a particle is or how fast it's going, but you cannot tell both at the same time. This is quantum physics. Explain this all to you. Well, I couldn't explain it all to you. But if I could explain it all to you, at the end of the joke, you'd just be like, oh, okay. My favorite recent joke, what's the scariest tree in the forest? Bamboo. (laughs) Well, actually... Bamboo isn't a tree at all. It's a grass, and it's more genetically similar to whatever. (laughs) This parable is funny. Nobody 
plants mustard seed in a field. Nobody plants mustard seed at all in the ancient Near East. There's only one uh, place in the entire uh, corpus of Greek literature that talks about the usefulness of mustard seed, and it's to reduce constipation. And so you wouldn't put it in your garden, and you wouldn't put it in your field. If you wanted mustard seed, you could just wander out and find it because it's like a weed. Mustard seeds don't grow to be trees. They grow to be bushes. Except I live in West Texas, and I have seen... Weeds that grow to be trees. <laughs> and if you want a symbol for a kingdom, there are better, more pristine examples than citing a weed that gets too large. You can talk about other trees. So let me tell you how these are connected. I want to tell you how one doctor's infatuation with his scrub nurse changed medicine. Because sometimes big things come from small changes. Sometimes a mustard seed really can make a difference. There's a book that was written about less than 10 years ago. It's called Atomic Habits. And the author um, just kind of positioned that the fact that if you want to make changes in your life, if you want to, because change is incredibly difficult. You want to try to lose weight. You want to try to exercise more. You want to learn a language. It's incredibly difficult to do something new when you're already going full speed in a different direction. And so what he said is you need to find the atomic habits, the little changes you can make to make a, a big difference in your world, like, like make your bed in the morning. It's an act of discipline that nobody really, I don't know anybody that's excited to make their bed, but, but the act of making your bed kind of sets your day with a certain intention. It's an act of hospitality for yourself because in the night when it's time to go to bed, you have this nicely made bed that you can slip in. He says, go to bed earlier than you normally do. If you're staying up till midnight or 1 a.m. or 2 a.m., or in my case, if you're staying up past like 10, 15, you're wasting time. You're no longer productive after that moment. So go to bed so you can wake up with energy. It says, drink a, a glass of water in the morning. Because you do these habits, it's going to set you in a healthy direction. It's going to set your intention for the day. It's why I don't have to intend or plan to work out for an hour. I just have to work out for five minutes. If I can put my shoes on and get ready to go for a run, if I, if I just say to myself, I don't have to run five miles today. I don't have to run three miles today. I don't have to go for an hour today. I just have to do five minutes. And once I get the first five minutes in, I'm ready to go. You don't have to work out for an hour. You just have to get up and do five minutes. Sometimes big things come from small changes. And I think in this parable, this is, this is God's word. The mustard seed is God's word. It's the gospel. It's a small word. It's a word like love. You may not know this story, but William Stewart Halstead, he was a surgeon at John Hopkins University, or John Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore. And at the time when he was practicing medicine, surgeons frequently experienced skin irritations and rashes from the harsh antiseptics used during surgery. And um, he, he did an innovation that nobody had ever thought of before. Because his scrub nurse, whom he was very infatuated with, whom he loved so much that he married the same year, whom he writes publicly in the most romantic way, she was an efficient woman. 
I kid you not, this is his quote, I cannot recall the month, and the nurse in charge of my operating room complained that the solutions of mercuric chloride produced a dermatitis of her arms and hands. As she was an unusually efficient woman, I gave uh, the matter my consideration. And one day in New York, I requested the Goodyear Rubber Company make an experiment of two pair of thin rubber gloves with gauntlets. Because the woman that he loved was experiencing irritation in her skin, Dr. Halstead induced the concept of using gloves in surgery. Not only did it reduce skin irritation among surgeons, it saved lives because it reduced infection. And when I say it saved lives, I mean it saved millions of lives. Or Ignaz Samuelweiss, who's a little bit early, but it's the same thing. He was the first doctor in, to implement hand washing in hospitals. It saved millions of lives and is the single greatest innovation in medicine. Years after his death, his theories about hand washing were proven correct. He didn't know it was right at the time. He didn't have a theory of germ, but he knew if he washed his hands in between patients, his, uh, his patients were more likely to survive. Today, he is known as the savior of mothers because he first proved hand washing saved the lives by implementing it in the birthing ward where one in four women died at the hospital during birth. This was because... And this is just how far our world has changed because doctors would handle cadavers and then immediately attend to birthing mothers, infecting them. After hand washing was implemented, the rate of death for birthing mothers dropped to less than 5%. Because sometimes big things come from small changes. Sometimes it's just having the hospitality to make your bed in the morning. It's the way that Rosa Parks refuses to move and sets off the civil rights movement. It's a man named Muhammad Yunus, who you've probably never heard of, but he, he lived in India, and he, he really worked on and financed and fixed the microcredit system so that he could give small loans, mostly to women in rural, poverty-stricken areas, so that they could start small businesses. And as he perfected the idea and he charged it, he realized when he went to new villages, there was already microcredit happening because women were providing small loans to other women, and it changed the face of rural poverty in India. Small seeds can have a big impact. A child that goes to Camp Barnabas and dedicates their life to caring for the least of these. A mission trip to the global south sets a teen on a collision course with the gospel and is never the same. It's a bag of groceries that are given in love at the right time, at the right place, that changes a family forever. It's a lyric and a song that inspires courage and hope. But the ridiculous thing about this text, the joke in this text, is that mustard seeds don't produce trees. And you don't have to plant them. You don't have to sow them. You can just find them. In fact, if you were to sow them in your field, all you would end up with in 10 years is a field full of mustard weeds. Because big things come from small changes. But Jesus says... A kingdom creates an ecosystem. 
It's not the plant that you want as your national symbol, a mustard seed. You want the olive tree. You want the great oak. You want the mighty cedar of Babylon. And I think this is what Jesus knew because those are references in the Old Testament and in Deuteronomy and in Ezekiel and other places. You don't want a mustard seed because a mustard seed is, is a mustard plant is as invasive like bamboo or kudzu. And there's no way it grows to be a tree. Until it does. I was walking with my in-laws in their land. Uh, this was like before kids, so it must have been like eight or nine years ago. And I was, I was walking through. Isn't it funny how your life has like a BK before kids and after? You don't remember anything that happened after, but those memories before, they make sense. And I was walking through with my father-in-law, and I, I just, we were just stopping and talking. And I just kind of leaned against a tree, and I have my hand up against a tree as, as we're chit-chatting. And my father-in-law says, don't touch that. And I said, why not? He said, it's poison ivy. It was a tree. And what had happened? This is what had happened. There had been a tree in that spot years and years ago. And against that tree, poison ivy had grown up and had gotten big. This tree, this poison ivy was thick. It was like this big around. The tree had fallen down and the poison ivy remained because it had grown up into the canopy of the other trees and had leafed out across it and so that it could stand. This is how I found out I'm not that allergic to poison ivy. <laughs> What's notable about this text is not the ridiculousness that a mustard weed could become a tree, although sometimes that happens, is that sometimes that kind of weed creates an ecosystem, a place for birds to make their nests, a safe place a calm place, the kind of place you want to raise kids. And I think Jesus is saying something here about the nature of the kingdom of God. Is that sometimes the fruit isn't just that delicious smell of mustard. Sometimes it's the byproducts that you're not ever going to be able to calculate on a financial spreadsheet or imagine as you're going into a visioning session. It's all of the sideswiped joy that happens as we do community together. It's all the unexpected journey that, that, that tells our story of what it means to be kingdom. The kingdom creates an ecosystem. And the last one is not in the text, but I want to add it because I think it's worthy and I think it's fun. It's that roots break concrete. And I think if Jesus was alive today, in my Ignatian prayer as I was thinking about this this week, this is where I came through. I think if Jesus was alive today, I think he might end the parable where we're going to end it today. It's the reason why the Abilene forefathers, in their wisdom, decided not to install a sewer system in our city. Because it rarely rains here. And if it's not a year like this year, you would probably agree with our forefathers in their wisdom. They, they did the balance analysis and they decided the cost of installing a sewer system in this clay-packed dirt is probably not worth what it would cost for the efficiency of the city to be unwound on those rare occasions when it does rain. But next time it rains, because it happened yesterday, it'll probably happen again. I want you to go outside and look at the way 
Abilene's water system works. Better yet, just drive up sails. Go north on sails. Because what you're going to experience is the absolute joy to a seven, five, and two-year-old because you just kind of coast through these puddles. And if you get going fast enough, you're going to water plane right through. And they think that's amazing. Just splash everyone that's around you because you would think they must have done a terrible job of making that road to make it so bumpy that the water can't even drain. I mean, if you're not going to do sewer systems, then you need a good job of at least getting the grade right on the paving. Except that's not the case. Actually, the people that made that road did an adequate job, a fine job. But in the end, roots break concrete. In the end, it doesn't matter how Deeply you pour that concrete. You could go down four inches, six inches, eight inches. It doesn't matter how securely you want to create the foundation for a house. Roots will get in there and they grow. They find the crack and they push it just a little bit and then water gets in and it freezes and turns to ice and then relaxes again and that makes more space for the root to push a little bit further and a little bit wider and over years... It doesn't matter how hard you try. It doesn't matter how much rebar you put into place. Roots will break concrete. And I think this is what Jesus is saying when he talks about kingdom. Is that when the kingdom is working, when God's people gather together in faithfulness, And they do the right thing because of the word of love. And they do the right thing to create the ecosystem around them that allows others to thrive and allows others to flourish. Because we're not only interested in our own goodness, but also in the welfare of others. Systems start to break down. Rodney Stark is a Christian sociologist. He, he, did, he just did the math, right? He's looking at the, the first three years, or three, excuse me, three centuries of Christendom. And he's trying to figure out how a group of 70 people huddled together at the beginning of Acts end up conquering the Roman Empire. So much so that the, the, the Roman emperor chooses to become baptized. Now, I know a lot of people kind of have a suspicion around why Constantine chose to be baptized, but the reality was, either way you slice it, whether he had a conversion himself or not, the political forces in the Roman Empire were so powerful that he thought this is the right thing to do in this moment. And Christianity grew bit by bit and inch by inch. And at the very beginning, it couldn't challenge the evil power that existed in that world of slavery. Paul couldn't say to Philemon, Onesimus should be a free man. Even though if you read that text, it is clear in his heart that's what Paul believes. Paul can't challenge the way that the Roman Empire treated women and treated slaves and treated the poor, although it's clear if you read the New Testament and the way that Jesus, Jesus talks that that is the end goal. But bit by bit, inch by inch, season by season, Christianity thrives and grows and expands. 
And Christianity was the weed. It was the harassment of the powers that be. The, the, the emperors were annoyed that the church was more caring for their pagan neighbors than the pagan priests were, and they write letters about that. They're trying to figure out why Christianity was so popular when it shouldn't have been. It should have been unlikely. The pagan religions was deeply entrenched in the ancient world. Judaism was widespread, and new, many religions were constantly attempting to enter into the market. It's not the kind of ecosystem that you expect a church to thrive. But it's in places where all you see is concrete. That a weed can take seed. And grow. And send roots. And provide space for other life to thrive. And in three centuries... Christianity had changed the face of the Roman Empire. So I want to be a part of that kind of kingdom. I want to be part of a kingdom that creates an ecosystem. I want to be part of a kingdom that has roots that break concrete in the past, and we have our eyes in the future of where we can break it again. Because sometimes big things can come from small changes. Sometimes all it takes is a mustard seed. Let's sing together.